Life is short. That's the meaning of the first sentence. Just look at it there. The end of all things is near. It sounds like the guy in Oxford Street with a sandwich board, the end of the world is nigh, or indeed the poster, if you know it, in a window in Clapham Junction. Some theologians think the early church believed the end of the world and the return of Christ would be in their lifetime. Well, the early church may have thought that, but, you know, the New Testament authors didn't necessarily. They taught something similar, but more nuanced, more subtle than that. They taught that all our lives should be lived in the light of eternity. So Paul wrote to Rome, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Cast off the works of darkness, live as children as light. To the Philippians he wrote, the Lord is near, with a deliberate pun, near to you physically, near to you in time. The writer to the Hebrews said, encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching, the final day. And the Bible ends with Jesus' words, behold, I'm coming soon. And that soonness hangs over every generation. It's the united witness of all the New Testament authors and Jesus himself. Christ will return one day to wind up the universe, to consummate and terminate all history. And it could be in our lifetime. And we'll meet him here, face to face. But whether or not in our lifetime, for each of us individually, that face time with Jesus will be no longer than a few decades. In my case, perhaps two. Life is short. The present age will not go on forever, and our earthly life won't either. All this is inevitable. It is near, says Peter. So it's always to be thought of as impending. And that should disturb our complacency. It should make us face daily living with a new sense of eternal values. Like the Christian businessman I heard of who kept a card on his desk in the office with the two words on it, perhaps today. Perhaps today. And people would stop and ask him, what does that mean? Perhaps today. And he'd tell them, perhaps today is my last. Perhaps today I'll complete my life's work. Perhaps today I'll meet my destiny. Perhaps today I'll face my maker. Perhaps today my judge. And that, incidentally, is the thought which prompted Peter's words in verse 5 above. You've got a Bible, just look at verse 5 above. They will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is ready. The living, if Christ returns during their lifetime, the dead if not. Now, there's a reason for this frame of reference, and it's a theological reason. It's this, and it's quite simple, that God views time differently from the way we do. Let me say that again. God views time differently from the way we do. His time, His history, and history is His story, 
is sometimes called salvation history or redemption history. And it's chronological, but it's not measured in periods of 24 hours or 365 days or years of rotation of the Earth around the Sun. It began with six billion years of creation up to human beings, which the Bible for convenience calls six days. It continues with man's disobedience and rebellion against God and the outworking of that in the nation of Israel. It culminates in the intervention of Christ into our world, his life, his miracles, his teaching, his death, which he for convenience called his hour. And that great saving act in history is confirmed by his resurrection, his ascension, and his sending of the Holy Spirit. And with those mighty acts, the drama of salvation is complete, except for one final act. Christ is now, look at the verse, ready, ready to judge the living and the dead. All the previous acts in the drama of salvation are complete, and any moment in the final act, the curtain could fall at any time. Thirty years by the time Peter wrote, but the curtain could fall at any time. Now, we think the church age is such a long time, but you see, God sees it differently. From his perspective, from the day of Pentecost, well, as the saying goes, it's all over now, Father shouting. His hand has been holding the curtain rope. The only reason he hasn't already pulled the rope is because in his mercy, he longs to give people time to come to him. Now, Peter's reading, readers did not get this. They just didn't get it. So he had to write a second letter to them. And if you've got the Bible open, turn over just one page, 2 Peter chapter 3. He had to write this second letter. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffering and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised. Do you see, life, life just carries on. Okay, so Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus has gone back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. So what? Life just goes on. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately, says Peter, forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water, and by these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. There was a judgment in the past. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. There will be a judgment in the future, do you see? So don't forget this. One thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise to return. 
as some of you understand slowness. He is patient with you. That's what he's doing. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God sees time differently from us. But life is short. And many people live as if they'll live on earth forever. They don't actually believe that, but they live in total denial. Denial, as we say, is not just a river in Egypt. It courses through all our veins. Life is short. But now, if that's the case, the big question is, how? How should I live today? What does it mean to live in the light of eternity? And Peter has a number of answers. Number one, use your mental and devotional resources. Next slide. Hello? We'll find it. There we are. The end of all things is near. So what? So be clear-minded and self-controlled, says Peter, so that you can pray. Now, do you see how unexpected that is? So counterintuitive. If the end is coming, he says, don't panic. Pray. Be sober-minded, your sense clear, your mind sharp, your sight focused. Don't wail, horrified, where's it all going to end? Russia and China and North Korea and Iran. Don't escape into fantasy like the cults predicting the day. No, instead, stay focused, which will enable you to pray. That's the way you should be. And in fact, three times in the letter he says, be sober, be sober, be sober. Now, for some of us, that may be literally the wine the night before, which prevents us from praying the morning after. Too much to drink or too late to bed, too tired to pray. Peter was probably thinking back to the most significant night of his life. Remember? When Jesus asked him to watch and pray. And instead, Peter lost focus. He didn't realize the end was near. And instead of praying, he fell asleep. You see, life is short. Last Tuesday, my friend Trevor Patterson, vicar of Holy Trinity Richmond, was taking a couple of days' break. He was down at the south coast, and that morning he got up, went for a run, and on his run he collapsed, had a heart attack, and died. And do let's pray for Kate and their three boys. Kate, some of you will remember, who took our women's staycation recently. As I walked down to church this morning, I was thinking of and praying for the congregation of Holy Trinity Richmond, meeting, I guess, exactly the same time as we are now, suddenly meeting together, and their vicar has just suddenly died. Life was cut short for Trevor, 10 years younger than me, but Trevor was sober-minded and clear-focused. And knowing him as I do, I wouldn't mind betting that that morning, before he went out for his run, he had turned to the Lord Jesus and prayed. 
Life is short. And prayer isn't escapism out of the world. Prayer is looking at the world with a clear vision and bringing your life into focus with the Lord who is near in both senses of the word, in space and time. And the imminence of Christ is so that we can pray intelligently and urgently for ourselves and especially for others. The person who prays shows he or she has God's time frame. The person who doesn't pray is living in denial. Uh, I wrote that down, and I looked at it, and I said, Paul, did you really mean that? The person who doesn't pray is living in denial, because the world says the person who does pray is living in denial, in kind of cloud cuckoo land. And Peter says the person who doesn't pray is living in cloud cuckoo land. So that's the first thing. Secondly, this serious look at the way the world is going is not just to lead us to prayer alone. That could be a kind of monastic retreat into the desert, stargazing, looking, locking ourselves away and waiting for the end. And Peter won't have any of that. He says, secondly, use your emotional and relational resources. And first of all, within the Christian community. Look at verse 8. Love one another. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. And such love demands considerable thought, action, and proactiveness. Actions which are costly. Actually, he says, look at it, love each other deeply. Literally, at full stretch. We sometimes talk of reaching out to people with our friendship, with our invitations, with help, with Jesus' good news. Peter says, don't reach out, stretch out. It was the word used of letting out the reins of a horse so that it could gallop at full bolt. Love each other stretched outedly. Such love covers a multitude of sins. That's why. Now, he's not talking of God's love covering our sins through Christ's death, though that, of course, is true. Still less is he talking of our love covering our own sins. And he's not saying that. He's saying that where there is love, we will protect rather than exploit or expose one another even though sin may need to be faced and dealt with, but we will overlook one another's failings rather than pounce on them. I learned a very simple lesson when I was a school teacher. The church, uh, the parish church was also the chapel of the school. It had a dual use. And we had coming to visit us Richard Vermbrandt, the famous pastor in the Romanian church during the Ceausescu years. Very, very famous. If you read his books, Tortured for Christ and so on. And he was coming, and the vicar of the church, John Collins, who later became the vicar of HTB, uh, said, would you like to use him in the school? And I said, yes, please. So he said, well, he's speaking in the church then. Go and arrange a time in the school. And I foolishly went and arranged for him to speak in exactly the same time in the school as John had already arranged for him to speak in the church. 
I'd really messed it up. It was only discovered the night he arrived. And instead of pouncing on me, John Collins, without a single word of reproach, said, I'll sort it out, don't worry. And rearranged the meeting in the church. You see, that's what love does. It covers over a multitude of sins. We will forgive one another, be patient with, with one another, as God is patient with us. That's the point. He stays and delays His judgment out of His mercy and patience. Will restrain your own censorious fault-finding. The church, like the family, ought to be a place where there is freedom to fail, a place of grace, not judgment. Now, more than that, practically, thirdly, in the light of the fact that the end is near, use your home, your time, and your family resources. Look at verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Do it without wishing you hadn't. Archbishop Donald Coggan once said wittily, Hospitality is making people feel at home when you wish they were at home. But of course, that has added poignancy when people don't have a home. Because they're either homeless or parentless, refugees or orphans, persecuted outcasts, or the lepers of our society. Now, Peter is saying, because we have a purposeful view of history, do you see? Because everyone will see the Lord sooner or later, some very soon. I guess I may not be the first, but I'll be sooner than many of you here. And at maximum a few decades, because there's a seriousness about our lives, use your resources while you have them. You won't always be able to use them, but you can now. Your mental, your emotional, your pastoral, your temporal time resources for the sake of others. And fourthly and finally, use your material and spiritual resources. Look at verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. That word for various is it, it's, it's multicolored forms. Peter was speaking not to special ministers. We used to have a, pose, um, um, a board outside the church. It went, uh, but it used to say, St. Mark's and had service times, and who to contact. I think it said the administrator telephone number if you wanted to make contact with the church. And then it said ministers. You know how so many churches have the name of the minister on a board outside the church? Ours said ministers, the whole congregation. Well, that was good, wasn't it? Maybe we ought to restore it. Because Peter is speaking to every Christian in the congregation. And not just to every Christian, but to every Christian with whatever gifts they have. Not trading off one as a substitute for the other. I haven't got much time, but I'll give my money. I haven't got much money, but I'll give my time. 
Well, that may be the case, but he's actually saying, use all of them. Whatever you've got. It includes the resources of our skills and our work. That Jesus may return any time means serve him in our daily work. Like the judge in the southern United States of America, the year was 1869, when a huge sandstorm blew up. At the time, the judge was sitting in his courtroom hearing evidence. And the sky turned black, the courtroom went dark, and someone shouted in panic, it's the end of the world. The judge coolly replied, then send for candles. We must be busy doing what we ought when he comes. It includes our financial resources. Whatever gifts God has graced you with, use them to serve others. Money pledged today, and we'll be doing that at the end of the service, translates into ministry to serve others in the congregation and in the local community and further afield in the world. Money equals ministry, which is the word, which is the word for serving. Um, at the moment, it looks as if this year, we are ending this year on a slight shortfall at the moment, uh, pending this pledge day. Uh, about £40,000. Now, that may sound a lot to you, but it's not very much amongst 600 people. It's, in fact, 5% of our budget. But it's two staff salaries, and therefore it's serving two ministries. Use your money, your money gifts, to serve others. Is Mike Kirkmartin in the house? Mike, let me come to you. And I'm going to come in a moment to Sarah. Where are you? My, Mike, what should we do? Hi, everybody. Um, the easiest solution would be giving a 13th check, as it were. Um, for the year and um, for those who can a 13th month absolutely and um, I, th I think you know with our all in vision a 13th would be the fairest way of sort of distributing it amongst everybody if you can and if people haven't started and feel they're members of this church haven't started giving to the ministry yet um, I mean, just looking already after the video um, from last week, which is not easy to shoot with a two-year-old boy, I assure you, um, already people that have not been giving previously have started giving. People that were giving have increased their giving. Um, so it's really encouraging. And just if I could stress to all the rest of you, if you could really pray on it, think about it, it would make a huge difference to the church. Thank you, Mike, very much indeed. Um, Sarah, would you come up at the same time? Use your money gifts to serve God because, of course, the reason is they belong to God. They're God's grace to you. And we're to be stewards faithfully administering them, not owners jealously possessing them. That's the point he's making. The word he uses is the word of a manager. Be a faithful manager of what God, the owner, has entrusted to you. Now, you notice he mentions the charismatic gifts of speaking, but also the charismatic gift of service. If anyone serves, he or she should do it with the strength that God provides. Sarah, what's your encouragement to us? 
Well, we've put on your, your chair a little card which is SOS, Serving Opportunity Sunday. And we really want people to, um, to get involved. We're all in as a church. That's our vision for the year. And we want everybody in the church to have the joy of serving in some way. And um, if you'd like to look at that card, you'll see various opportunities there. Um, we've listed a few. There's also others lifted, listed on our website. When I first joined the church... 25 years ago, I, was, uh, I had not, no experience of being in a church before coming to St. Mark's. And, um, and I joined the Flower Rotor, which for me was a very safe way of getting involved. And I could just do it quietly behind the scenes. And then I actually joined the worship band. And then I started getting involved in other ministries in the church. But what we would encourage you to do is to find one thing if you're not already involved. Because we really want you to, we really want you to be part of the joy of serving and being all in. And, and if I could highlight just a couple of opportunities we have at the moment. When, when you arrive on a Sunday morning, we have stewards and welcomers at the door to hand out Bibles and to welcome you at the front desk and in through the lobby. We are very short of team, and you know how nice it is to have a warm, friendly face smiling at you and handing out Bibles. And um, so please do think about that. Is that something you could do for this 9.30 service? And we have our children and youth teams that are always looking for fantastic volunteers, and that is a great way to meet other people in the church. And Tom is going to be having a sound and production team training session this Tuesday for people to learn how to use the sound desk. Um, he's going to be offering pizza and training this Tuesday. So perhaps that's something you can help with. We always need more people to join our production team. And there are other opportunities as well. We do have um, those opportunities on the card. We've got pens at, at the table. And I'd love to talk to anybody afterwards if they'd like to, to find out more about how you can get involved. And what we would say is just try. You don't have to. You could try getting involved. You could try an opportunity and see if that fits. And if it doesn't fit for you, we'll find something else. And Kat Flores, um, who's on our staff team, um, she's going to be our serving ministries coordinator um, with Sam Mercer as well. And we're going to be trying to get help people get more involved. So fill in your card. If you fill it in, you'll get a phone call this week and we'll be replying and responding and getting you involved as soon as possible. Sarah, I love that, that you started off with the flower router. That's, that's not to diminish the importance of the flower router and look at them. Uh, but if you start somewhere, who knows where that'll lead to? Uh, Jesus talked about who is faithful in little things will be given bigger things, bigger responsibilities. And I've just spotted Lisa, uh, who's four rows back. Lisa. Um, Lisa, when she came here 15 years ago or more, 19 years ago, I didn't know her at all. She came to me and she said, I'd like to serve in some way. I said, well, what's in your heart to do? She said, uh, could I and a friend babysit on a Wednesday evening so that some people could come to Alpha? Nineteen years later, Lisa has confronted the South African penal system so that children should not be locked up in adult prisons and runs the prison ministry in Polesmoor. Lisa, just tell us, that was quite a journey, wasn't it? How's it going? Good, it's so good to be here. This is actually my third Sunday uh, here at St. Mark, so just such a joy to be part back and part of the family. Uh, how are things in prison? Um, things are going well. Um, some of the highlights this year have been, um, we, we actually, one of my highlights has been one of our young men graduated um, from uh, finished prison, 
did a coding course, we put him through, graduated from an academy. He was initiated into the gangs at the age of 11 as a hitman. Um, and he's now working for this academy in a gym and doing really, really well. So that was just such a blessing to be at his graduation. And um, he actually also finished parole that same day he graduated. So that was a huge gift. Uh, yeah, should I say some of the challenges? Yeah. Or what? <laughs> um, uh, some of our challenges this year um, have been, we've had to start in a whole new uh, part of the prison. Um, uh, so we started off in January, we weren't even sure we were going to be working. And um, what, ha what else happened? Um, so building relationship from start, really. After, I've been there 12 years with the prison, and it's just, so it's sort of just starting from scratch in some ways. And then um, losing one of our colleagues who has moved on um, has been a huge, huge kind of shift and adjustment. And just some of the young guys, I said the biggest challenge is reintegration. Um, just helping some of our young men. I mean, one of our other young men contacted us. He's burnt his tattoos off his body to say he no longer wants to be in the gang, but the only way they will let him out is if he shoots and kills three people um, because they say it's blood in, blood out. And so just, just getting phone calls like that and journeying with some of these young people also while they come out um, has, has been a huge challenge. Lisa, fantastic. We're going to pray for you at the end. Uh, but the message, I think, to us is, if you offer to do a tiny bit of babysitting, watch out <laughs> what it might lead to. I mean, really. So, whatever. Peter says, whatever gift God has given you. We're going to be winding up now. Whatever gift God has given you, he provided you with the gift. And notice he says at the end of that paragraph, he provides you with the gift of giving it away. And the New Testament repeatedly talks about giving, giving our time, our money, our encouragement, our skills as itself a gift to us, the grace of giving. So to sum up, the thought is this. You and I are only on earth a very short time. Life is short. And in your lifetime, you are a postman passing on God's gifts. They're his. They belong to him. But he's entrusted them to you for only a short space of time. Like the game of Pass the Parcel. Have you ever watched little children playing Pass the Parcel? It's such fun passing them on. And when they're little children, they want to pass them on as quickly as they can. Almost without touching them. The parcel gets passed to them and they throw it on. It's only when they get about the age of five, which I reached, when I realized that the longer you held on to the parcel, the more likely you were to get it when the music stopped. You know, and the adults had to stand behind you and say, no, pass it on. And you were fumbling, pretending that you were trying to. Jesus says, don't be like the child who holds on to the parcel, hesitating to pass it on, hoping the music will stop while you're holding it. Be like the child who passes it quickly. The game's much more fun if you do, and the music may stop sooner than you think. The difference with the parcel of life's gifts is this. When the music stops, you don't get to take it home. You can't take it with you when you go. But use them here. Keep recycling everything God gives you. And what you take home is a crown of life. Life is short. 
How will we use our resources? Instead of some people, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly use. Karl Marx said that the promise of heaven keeps the proletariat paralyzed. Religion is the opium of the people. But the opposite is actually the truth. Those who've done most for this world are those who've thought most of the next. Wesley, Wilberforce, Shaftesbury, Booth. And we won't miss out. You cannot outgive God. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and your needs will be added to you. And C.S. Lewis interpreted it, seek heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Seek earth and you'll get neither. So seek first his kingdom. And all these things, all your needs shall be added to you.